All right, welcome to another video. Now, now this I want to examine, or I want to report on how the how the African American ghettos one were formed and came to be. And in this video, we're gonna go in depth of how you know they were formed and you know why they were formed and who they were formed for. Um. So yeah, but let's start. So urban areas in the United States can also can most often can often be classified as black or white with the inhabitants primarily belonging to homogeneous racial grouping. Forty years after the African American civil rights era, nineteen fifty five to nineteen sixty eight, most of the United States remains residentially segregated in which blacks and whites inhabit different neighborhoods of um, of significantly different quality. Many of these neighborhoods are located in northern cities where African Americans moved the Great Migration, a period when over a million, um, million African Americans moved out of the rural southern United States to escape the wide racism of the South, to seek out employment opportunities in urban environments, and to pursue what was widely perceived to be a better quality in the night in, in I'm sorry, in the north. So that explains the Great Migration when, you know, many a huge amount of African Americans moved up north and you know thought it'd be better for them up there. Two main factors ensured further separation between races and classes and ultimately the development of contemporary ghettos, the weak location of industrial enterprises and the movement of upper a movement to upper class residents in suburban neighborhoods between nineteen sixty seven and nineteen eighty seven. Economic restructuring resulted in a dramatic decline of manufacturing jobs. The one thriving northern industrial cities directed a shift to service occupations, and in combination with the movement of middle class families and other businesses to the suburbs, left much economic devastation in the inner cities. Consequently, African Americans were disproportionately affected and became either unemployed underemployed with little wage and reduced benefits. Accordingly, a concentration of African Americans was established with the, within the inner cities of states such as New York and Detroit. It is also, um, it is also um, significant to compare the demographic patterns between blacks and Europeans immigrants. According to the labor market, European immigrants and African Americans both subject to an ethnic division of labor, and subsequently African Americans have predominated the least secure division of the labor market. David Ward refers to this stagnant position in, Afri in African American ghettos as the elevator model, which implies that each group of immigrants or migrants take turns in the process of social mobility and suburbanization. Sub and several groups did not start on the ground floor. So, now let's examine that one part. And several groups did not start on the ground floor. Now, we know who that main group was, and that was African Americans. We did not start on the ground floor. It's the equivalent of how they say, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, if you take away my boots and my straps, what am I going to pick myself up by? You see what I'm saying? So, there, clearly, that's that's very true. Several groups did not start, and that, that was African-Americans. And the inability for blacks to move from the ground floor, as war suggests, is dependent upon the prejudice and segregationist patterns 
experienced in the South. So the South was a hindrance to us starting on the ground floor. Prior to World War One, after the exodus of African Americans to the North, the range of occupations in the North were further altered by the settlements of European immigrants. So the influx of European immigrants changed um, the you know labor market, and the result was thus African Americans were diminished to unskilled jobs. The slow of advancement in black communities outlines the rigidity of the labor market, competition, and conflict, adding another dimension to the prevalence of poverty, social instability in African American ghettos. So you see the influx of European immigrants changed the labor market to an extent where African Americans were diminished to unskilled jobs, jobs that had no worth, that had no value. The jobs were slanted to the European immigrants, were not even slanted, I'll say just for the European immigrants, and we had to settle for less once again and this was even in the north so when you know people say the north was better how could it be better if the influx of european immigrants changed it so much that basically we're just you know kept out of all the high paying and booming jobs and we're we're at the we have to settle for something less absolutely not in the years following world war ii many white americans began to move away from the inner cities to new suburb newer suburban communities a process known as white flight White flight occurred in response, to, uh, in response, in part as a response to black people moving into white urban neighborhoods. Discriminatory practices, especially those intended to preserve emerging white suburbs, restricted the ability of blacks to move from inner cities to the suburbs. Now you see that right there? It says discriminatory practices restricted the ability of blacks to move to suburbs. See, the issue I have with that is, now I don't have an issue with, you know, them restricting us from white suburbs, because we, we really shouldn't be there anyways, because it's not like they want us there anyways, and you understand the very, the um, the intense racial animosity animosity between both um, African Americans and white Americans, so I'm not really, you know, saddened about that, but when they, you know, restrict us from suburbs, I wonder would that apply to black suburbs, I wonder... Because if that were to, then I would have an issue with it then. But if it's just white suburbs, I wouldn't have an issue with it. Now, the second issue would be, okay, restrict us. This, this is different from the suburb part. Restricts you from leaving the inner cities. That would be another issue because the inner cities are festive crime, you know, rats, rodents, pestilence, all of that. All the things you would not want and you wouldn't want to live, all that's there. So if it's restricting your ability to move from that. And let's say moves, you know, from somewhere else, not even, let's say, not even the suburbs, just somewhere else. That's not good because now we're stuck in a place that's festering with all, you know, everything. You know, so that's that's not good at all. Even when they were economically able to afford it. So even when they were economically able for, able to afford it, to move, they were still restricted. So those black folks who think they got something, you know, they didn't made it. Okay, yeah, they had something for you too. In contrast to this, the same period in history marked a massive suburban expansion available primarily to whites of both, wealth, of both wealthy and working class backgrounds facilitated through highway construction and the availability of federal subsidized home mortgage VAFAHOLC. These made it easier for families to buy new homes in the suburbs, but not to rent in not to rent apartments in cities mm, interesting so notice notice that part it says in contrast to this the same period of history marked a massive suburban expansion available primarily to whites 
So that's showing you already right there that the massive suburban expansion was available primarily. That means the majority, that means who the main focus is, is white Americans. You see us being left out, pushed out of the American financial, you know, system. In this case, the housing market. So, and then with that, since, you know, it was slanted, you know, since, you know, it was primarily focused on white Americans, then the availability of federally subsidized subs, um, subsidized home mortgages, these made it e easier for families to buy homes in the suburbs. So you see, plus the expansion and it being primarily focused on them, plus the federally subsidized home mortgages, this made it easier. So you see the United States taking an active role in you know, basically sealing off African Americans from job opportunities, from moving to nice neighborhoods, and for you white Americans, you know what? Y'all can get a y'all can get everything. Y'all can get every benefit. Every agency in the federal government is created to make sure that you have the best life that you can live. And it says the United States began restructuring the their economy after World War II, fueled by new global processes, demonstrated. Through technological advances and improvements in efficiency, the structural shift of 1973 during the first post-Fortis era became a large component to the racial ghetto and its relationship with the labor market. Sharon Zukin declares the designated stratum of African Americans in the labor force was placed even below the working class. So they put us to the bottom, even below the working class. That's where we were at. We were the low skill urban jobs were now given to oh wow wow no way so even the low skill urban jobs were now given to incoming immigrants from mexico or the caribbean additionally zukin denotes not only not only have social services been drastically reduced punitive and other social controls over the poor have been increased such as law enforcement and imprison imprisonment so, you know, social services that could possibly uplift you and move you out of poverty, that's been reduced, almost basically eliminated. But, you know, social controls over the poor, what is that? Law enforcement and imprisonment to control the poor, that's been increased. See, they know what they were doing. They know if I take away all the economic opportunity, all, you know, financial, all, all of that, if I take all that away, I know I'm gonna have a desperate pool of people who are desperate for anything. And if I just send crack and all these drugs in that community and that's the only way they can make money, I'm gonna have loads of them just flock to that and boom. And then when it comes to the drugs, I need war, I need fighting, I need violence, I need hatred, I need animosity, I need all that. I need guns, I need all of that. And boom, that's how you see it festered because of what they did, how they denied us from simple things. Simple things, even just picking up the trash, they, they, we can have something like that. The steady separation occurred during the period of the civil rights, urban rights, and in black power. In addition, the international incomplete of social sciences stresses, stresses the various challenges developed by the urban crisis, including poorly underserviced infrastructures and in, in, inadequate housing to accommodate a growing urban populace, group conflict and competition over limited jobs and space, the inability for many residents to compete for new technologies, base jobs and tensions between the public and private sector left 
to the formation and growth of U.S. ghettos. And we know, you know, this competition for, you know, jobs, who that was affecting, all of that, all those negative things right there, we knew who that was affecting, and it was African Americans. The cumulative economic and social forces in the ghettos give way to social, political, and economic isolation and inequality while indirectly defining a separation between superior and inferior status of groups. In response to the influx of black people from the South banks, insurance companies, and businesses began denying or increasing the cost of services such as banking, insurance, access to jobs, access to health care, even supermarkets to residents in certain areas, often racially determined areas. The most devastating form of redlining and the most common use of the term refers to mortgage discrimination. Data on housing, on house prices, and attitudes towards integration suggest that in the mid-20th century, segregation was a product of collective actions taken by non-blacks to exclude blacks from neighborhoods. So, with the influx, influx of black people in the South, you had a, you know, in a confederation almost, of banks, insurance companies, and businesses saying, mm, mm, we're going to deny you or increase the cost so much where well, you can't even begin to pay for it. You see them coming together and uniting against us to make sure that we do not rise up. And you see that continue today. We're redlining and all these practices that stop African Americans from, you know, rising up economically. It stops all of that. Now we see, for example, Birmingham, Alabama interstate highway system attempted to maintain maintain racial boundaries that have been established by the city's 1926 on racial zoning law. The construction of interstate highways to black neighborhoods in the city led to significant population loss in those neighborhoods and is associated with an increase in neighborhood racial segregation. So they knew that's another thing. They knew they were doing by building those highways. It was segregated. It would cut a line, basically, and shut all that off. Shut all that off. By 1999, the legal barriers enforcing segregation had been replaced by decentralized racism, where whites pay more than blacks to live in predominantly white areas. Some social sciences suggest that the historical processes of suburbanization and decentralized our instances of white privilege that have contributed to the contemporary patterns of environmental racism. So you see just a collection of all kind of things being put in this and involved. Two dominant theories arise pertaining to the production and development of U.S. ghettos. First, race-based theorists who argue the importance of race in the in ghettos. Theories consist of dominant racial group of the dominant racial group in the U.S., white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestants, and the use of certain racist tactics in order to maintain their hegemony and their status in the United States. And to keep whatever racial group, what we know racial group that is, African Americans down, destitute, and having nothing for themselves other than the welfare to bet, to prevail, and to cling on, and that's it. That's all they want. And with that, you know, this is just detailing, you know, all that they do. And how all this came to be. And it wasn't just, you know, us coming out of nowhere. Us just saying, you know, random things. Us just want to talk. 
you know, us is, you know, want to do all that. No, no, this is real stuff. This is real stuff y'all did. This is this is no, you know, fake stuff. This is stuff y'all actually did. These are actually y'all actually took to hinder us, to stop us from making economic growth. So don't ever let them tell you that you, you know, are just complaining. You are lying. No, no, we're not lying. No, no, we're telling the exact truth. This is what you did. And it's just that simple. It's just that simple. So with that, I'm about to sign off because this was something I needed to cover. I needed to, you know, really go in depth in this, how evil this wicked government is to hinder a whole, you know, group of people and have the nerve to come to you and tell you, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, that's one of the most wicked and nastiest, you know, ways you can be to somebody. It would be the equivalent of a rich man, he sits at the table. He has everything is on the food, the gold, the money, and whatever. And then he says to the poor man to his side, saying, Why don't you have all these things I have? But it's the same poor man who can't even begin to get access to what you have. If he attempts to do it, he has all these blocks. He has the banks deny him. He has the insurance companies who won't hire him. He has the businesses that won't hire him. He has this that won't finance him. He has none of that. He has none of that. He has none of that. But you have the nerve to open your mouth and say to him, why don't you have all these things? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. But he has no bootstraps. The most he has, he barely has a shirt on his back. He, he can't even attempt to get access to the things you have. And you have the nerve to say to him, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, I guess he just wants to be in that state. You know, it really is a shame. It really is a total shame how these people talk to you and how they act. But it just shows you their wicked heart. They are wicked people. And there's no other way to get it around. There's no other way to get around it other than what they truly are. And it's really a shame, but that's what it is. And that's why I never want to hear them ever talk about morality, ever talk about them being Christian, how to do that and just how and to do it and then have no, you know, remorse, have no, you know, nothing. But, you know, that's that's how they are. That's how they are. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Um, it was a great video. Great talking to you. I'm um, glad you want to hear my voice. And with that, I'm signing off.